All right. Uh, well, 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 well. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society radio show here at the Hot Stove Club. I'll call it the Hot Stove Club now. It is a little bit like a club. It is like a club. A society and a club. Exactly. My name is Thierry Rotura. I'm the chef in a hat. And uh, co-hosting with me today is our, our director of show, Pamela. Hello, everyone. Pleased to be here while Tom is off for three weeks. Wow. Please do write your complaint and your, <laughs> and your comments about Tom not being on the show. Yeah, we want that to you hear miss all him. about Tell it. us how much you miss him. That's what I want to know. But because most people are very excited about you and your reputation, Jerry. Oh, my reputation. Mm-hmm. Let's not go into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. We have a big show today. Pam, you're ready for this? We're going to have two hours together and... We're going to make it fun, right? It's yes. summer. It's finally summer in Seattle, just before the 4th of July weekend. I'm so excited. Okay, we have so many delicious topics today. We have the pick of the season, shelling peas, and finally local, because as we know, we're three to four weeks behind schedule, and normally peas by the 4th of July are starting to peter out a little bit. But this year, we're in the beginning of the heart of the season, so it's very nice. Good timing for the holiday. Nice to make a, we'll talk later about um, salads and summer salads and it's going to be one of the topics today and uh, definitely peas is on the, on the agenda. So it's one of the very good ones. We're going to do an ordinary to extraordinary um, apply to 4th of July side salad and that should be fun. I know. I, I want to get that segment back more regularly because you and Tom have inspired so many people to put a little extra touching yeah. in uplifting an ordinary dish. So right. we need to do that more. And often, often it's just, it's just. I think it's just because we have more, more. I guess more time in the kitchen and more thinking about it. So we we have better, you know, better or some extra ideas than people don't have in their own kitchen. They don't. You know, many people are very stuck into, I, I hear that a lot from home cooks, they're stuck in their, in their world. You know, they, they always make the same thing and they, they would love to expand. So, yeah, extraordinary, ordinary to extraordinary. Good segment. We're going to also talk about some summer fruit deserts because summer is right around the corner and the, those fruits are going to be on the market everywhere soon enough. Blueberries. So yeah. excited for blueberries. Coming up. Uh, we have a cookbook we highly recommend. It's called Grain for Every Season by Portland chef Joshua McFadden. And he will be with us. No, we're just talking about his approach to we're grains. We're just talking about his book. So he's not, not going to be on the show, but we'll talk about his book. And by the way, that's a very research book, I would call it. You know, the, who, uh, Joshua did an incredible job on putting all those agenda together of how to use the grain. It's so useful, yeah. the way he laid it out. So... Again, the book is Grain for Every Season. If you have a chance to uh, get to a bookstore soon enough, get it. We also have an author and good friend, Cynthia Nims, who is going to join us for two segments to share recipes for our new book, Shellfish Cookbook. So I look forward to see Cynthia again. She's be, she was my co-author on Rover's Cookbook. I just read that on her website. Yeah, she was my co-author, and, and uh, Cynthia is awesome. She's a very thorough She's somebody you want with you as a chef because she's very thorough in, in researching and doing things. You know, when I would give her a recipe, she would remake them at her house and she would call me and tell me, you know, this, 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 that. That's what it takes yeah. to make yeah. it work for the home cook. Is I was have- very, yeah, that was one of my keys. I, I wanted to make a Rover's cookbook that you could actually make at home. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to make it <laughs> just for use. chefs. 
So that was very, that's why I love Cynthia for that. She was definitely very thorough about this. So I look forward to talking with her. And then lastly, we'll play our 4th of July edition of Rub With Love, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, with steam questions from our friend, Becky Kuzak. Yes. Who's Becky Kuzak? You know Becky. She's a longtime summer camp- camper. Oh, yeah. And great. She's the one who did the questions? Yes. Oh, wow. Yep. Rub with Love is a handcrafted, versatile line of rub sauces and marinade to give you more confidence in the kitchen. And definitely for this weekend, you should have a bunch of them because that's what we use them for. I, I, every time I open my cupboard, I see all those Rub with Love jars, which, by the way, I bought in the store. You Mr. actually Douglas. paid for them? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, thank and, you. And, uh, but I love them. I think they're, it's very cool because I often, as a chef, of course, I make my own rub often. You know, I change my rub from time to time because I use the other spice. But I can tell you that having rub with love in the kitchen is always an easy one. If I'm taking chicken wings, I just did that yesterday. I took some chicken wings out of the freezer. I'm going to spray them with the uh, Tokyo rub. I love the Tokyo rub on the chicken wing. That's a fantastic idea. I haven't used it on chicken yet. Yeah, it's really good on chicken. I've done it before. It's really good. So just an example of how to use them. I just finally used um, the taco rub on fish tacos, and it works so beautifully. Yeah. The liminess, it just... I was using rockfish and perfect compliment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very cool to have a selection of rubs like this. It's very, you know, steamed broccoli always tastes better with a little bit of rub with love. Whichever rub with love you want to use. <laughs> I mean, I've used many of them on steamed broccoli, but I think it's very easy to make steamed broccoli just go up ordinary to extraordinary just with that. Oh, that, our Rub With Love manager, Carol's going to be so happy for your advertorial. <laughs> well, that is not, and by the way, this is not Tom Douglas talking, this is Thierry Rotturo. <laughs> All right, taste of the week. What's your taste of, oh, Pam, what's your taste of the week? I like that. Uh, we were very lucky to get a beautiful dozen eggs dropped off by Jackie from Prosser Farm, but I already had eggs in the refrigerator so i needed to use them up quickly and hers because of the variety of chicken she has uh, have all these gorgeous colors those uh baby blue ones sure, sure. and white and uh so i decided to make a pasta salad but up the egg content and the oregon bay shrimp with some charred corn and uh, i made a little yogurt mayonnaise basil dressing uh, but big chunks of the eggs to highlight them. How many and, people ate that? Uh, for, and I brought some for Diane yesterday, too. And she, that, sounds, she, that sounds really delicious. It was delicious. So thank you for the eggs, Jackie. Yeah, so I have duck eggs in my fridge, and I'll talk about that later. Um, one of my ex-farmers, not she's still a farmer, but I'm not a chef anymore or a <laughs> oh. restaurateur anymore. But uh, she used to bring us a duck egg, and she brought me duck eggs. And um, I'll talk about it, how to use it in the kitchen and um, to up one of our dishes that we need to mm. make extraordinary later. Uh, my taste of the week, I've had so many things this week. Then I, I was like, oh, I need to take this as my taste of the week. And I walked in today and I was like, which one am I going to use? Um, I think I'm going to talk about watermelon, which are just, or melon, that just, yesterday I had a slice of cantaloupe like melon. It was quite essential summertime and I don't know Unfortunately, where the melon come from, I don't think it's eastern Washington. I think it's California. Um, but Kathy bought the, the melon, and I had a slice of it, and she left it on the counter, not refrigerated. Thank goodness. And I came home, you know, and then it was like probably four or five hours after she cut it, and 
oh my God, it was so beautiful. It was ripe. It was, it's got all that, that fragrance. Then when you smell a melon, you go, oh, I love the smell the of melon. The perfume. And then, they're perfectly ripe. Oh, it was so delicious. And, and I think that now the farmer's market are all over the place, all over the neighborhood. You know, today is Friday. You can go to Union and MLK. Uh, we have a farmer's market that is called the Madrona f- Farmer's Market. You can have that uh, farmer's market, and I'm sure that melons are going to start showing up. Well, we're it's a little early. It's a bit early for local, maybe. Huh? I think they're still California. Yeah, California. But anyway, grab a melon if you can at uh, Metropolitan Market was where we get this one. And it was super delicious. It's time for melons. Oh, mm. I can't wait. Summer is here. All right. What do we have coming up next? Oops. Peak of the season. Peak of the season. We're going to talk about the tender peas from the pod. Coming up next on uh, 97.3 FM Cairo. And uh, you're listening to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We are back in the kitchen. We are at the Hot Stove Society radio show. And uh, Chef Annie is prepping for lunch today. For her, case, pi- her picnic class. If you've never been here to the Hot Stove Society kitchen, uh, this is not my joint, but this is Tom Douglas's joint. But this is a great place to come to either have a class or definitely get together with some friends and have a fabulous time either for lunch or dinner. They do classes all the time. Check out their calendar. Um, I think it's a very quite essential experience in a kitchen. You're in a real kitchen here. This is beautiful. I love this spot. I love the fact that we come here every Friday to do the show. <laughs> and people are uh, so excited to work in an environment with such great equipment. Yeah, very professional. The, the cutting boards and all of the KitchenAid tools. I mean, they feel lu- a luxurious experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nobody would have, most people don't have a kitchen like this at home and definitely not that equipment. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very professional kitchen. It's very cool. All right. Our segment is on the peas. So we have fresh peas in the pod, which every year, usually that comes first week of June, early June. This year, it's uh, early July, and (laughs) this is when they're showing up. So um, what do you like to do with peas? Do you like peas? I had an excellent uh, pea result last night with uh, toasted couscous. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I prefer the Israeli. Right. The larger one. Or the one. big one. The big one. Yeah. So toasted so first. So everything is the same size in the bowl? Exactly. Uh, toasted first in butter, Kerrygold. I was really stepping up with total luxury. Salted or unsalted? Salted. Oh, you do? You do the salted. I prefer. Yeah. Um, and then chicken stock, uh-huh. got finished the couscous and just added the peas without cooking them into the warm couscous right. and butter and stock, and they kept their texture beautifully. That sounds delicious. Um, I was I was struggling a little bit with the shelling, and do you have any tips that makes it go a little bit faster? Do you pull the uh, thread off the side first? Or? No, if I'm going to use the pods, which right now, so this is something I wanted to talk about. You should keep the pods because right now the pods are very tender. So at the beginning of the season, you shouldn't be afraid to do this. You take the tip of, the, of where, where it's attached to the branch. You take the tip of that, po- of that pod and you bend it and you pull it. So now the wire that's holding the pod together is gone. It's a bit strained, basically. It's much better if you're going to eat the pod. 
So then you pop the peas that are in the pod and you keep the pod to either do a julienne and quickly saute, like, you know, stir fry kind of idea. Oh, for a good crunch factor. Yeah, crunch factor yeah. in a salad or into anything. Um, at Rovers or at Luke, I used to do, we used to use so much peas that we had a lot of pods and we'd make a soup with that. So we take that, we, we take the pods and we cook them in a little vegetable stock, blend the whole thing up with a burr mixer, or what we call a burr mixer in a restaurant or hand, hand uh, mixer or whatever you can use to blend that. Like a, a, if you have a, a vita, vita, Vitamix at home, yeah. that works perfectly fine. You blend the whole thing up and now you have a pureed pea soup. I do like and you strain puree, it. but I didn't think about using the pod. Oh, yeah, because the pods are very tender right now, so, you know, especially at the beginning of the season. Everything is really good and delicious. It's a waste. It's really a shame to throw away those beautiful tender pods. Uh-oh. <laughs> I screwed up. No, you didn't screw <laughs> the up. The next batch. You will know. I You'll will know. know. It's still in season. Don't worry. you got time to redeem yourself. It makes great compost. <laughs> That's <laughs> where they went. If you're trying to get compost. Uh, but I think it's, it's also something you can use. And um, especially if you go to a farmer's market, I mean, it's not cheap to buy all those fresh vegetables. So use it 100%. You know, you get the peas. You can use the peas in a salad like you just did or with a couscous or whatever, whatever you want to use it for. But you can also use the pod. And um, last week when I did, the, I did that, that dinner, one of the, the, the uh, appetizer orders that I did, the amuse-bouche, was a shooter of pea soup. Hot or cold? Cold. Cold. I love cold pea soup. Okay. But you have to have good peas for that. You can't have those big starchy, which is another thing. Ask your farmers to pick your peas young, not oversized. I know it's... When they get starchy... It's gross. It's gross. It's just not so good. It's like, it just doesn't taste the same at all. Yeah, the elegance is the sweetness of the small ones. The sweetness and the tenderness, you know, of that pea we still have a little bit of a crunchiness. I mean, young tender peas, you blanch them for one minute or not even. Yeah. You know, it's like if they're very nice and young and tender, you don't need to, pay to blanch them. So anyway, I did, a, I did a shooter of that with a little bit of um, lime, I mean, um, yeah, lime creme fraiche on top. So Perfect you just, topping. Yeah. And then a, a little bit of bronze fennel on top, copper fennel. And it was, Picture it, perfect. It, so you just take a shooter of that. It's really a nice little um, appetizer. I don't really, I couldn't eat a big, big bowl of pea soup. I mean, that's a little bit much. But a nice little cup, it's nice. So one idea for using all those uh, tender pods is to make a soup with that, because I think that makes a nice puree. And what, you said you use them a lot at Rovers. Was it yeah. as a side vegetable? As, or? A fru- as a, again, a shooter okay. or as an appetizer, you know, as one of the course. So I used to do... Uh, pea soup in a bowl, like very thin, with smoked guinea fowl. That would be so pretty. So, well, it's pretty, but it's also delicious because you get the smokiness. <laughs> <laughs> pretty. <laughs> it's funny how people always get caught on the on the pretty, and I always it tastes always, better if it's pretty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but how disappointing if it's not. <laughs> you know, it's like making it. I always used to say, making a pretty dish is the simplest thing in the world. Making it taste good is the hardest thing in the world. Absolutely. You know, it's like, you got you to gotta eat the darn thing. So, anyway, it was, it was a very nice dish that I used to do as a first course for a multi-course dinner. You know, just a little bit. And um, you could also, if you wanted to get really fancy, you could do like um, just a tiny bit of gelatin into your pea soup. 
and then put that on the bottom of a bowl and use that as a miroir, as a, as a base. I and don't then, understand. What does the gelatin do? So it basically make, turn, it, turn it into a, almost like a jelly of peas. Oh. But not sweet, obviously, savory. And then you put on top of that, you, put, you could use a nice little uh, hot smoked salmon. And then you put that on top of your uh, jelly of pea. And you serve that cold and um, shaved pickled fennel. And you put that together, and it's really, really delicious. All the three perfect things, yeah. peas and salmon and fennel. Yeah, it was, it was especially because uh, lightly pickled on the fennel, so you get that kind of like bitey of the, of the vinegar in the, in the fennel, just light, yeah. and then you mix that with the peas that are very sweet. And then, of course, the smoked salmon, so it can be, it can be a great way to use peas. But peas are, you know, simple peas... The most important thing is shuck the peas, keep the pods, make more with the pods, make a puree, make a soup, whatever. Even if it's not as bright green as you want it to be, it's still a beautiful pea flavor. Um, that, w- that would be my, my suggestion for that. And you can serve it hot. It doesn't have to be cold. Um, you know, a little bit of crumbled goat cheese on top, maybe some croutons, and you get a wonderful soup. You don't need to go any further than that. Fresh basil is in season now in my garden. In everybody's garden. Chives are everywhere. Chive. I love mint and peas, too. Yeah, mint. Buttered, like, yeah. minted peas. Yeah. Is a- I went to France and I came back and my lemon balm, talking about mint. It's not mint, but it's from the mint family. I have a lemon balm that took over my one section of my garden. I'm like, holy mackerel. What are like, you going to do with it all? I, I, I'm, I'm still thinking. I'm like, oh, my God. I think I'm going to whack it. Most of it, take it down. And uh, use and dry it up and use it as an effusion. Uh, that's what I was thinking. If you if you brought it here, we'd make some syrup out of it. Yeah, I'll I'll bring you a um, a bushel full. Uh, oh yeah, I bring you I bring you enough so you can make infusion. All right. Because we'd love to have it for a uh, simple syrup for spritzers yeah. for summer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I got plenty of things that are crazy in my garden. So peas. What else would you be? So one one thing also we stayed in the vegetarian section. But you can definitely add some peas bacon. with bacon. I mean, <laughs> I know, you know, you take some, <laughs> and, and I don't mean thin, crispy bacon. I mean, more like, you know, uh, half an inch to three quarter inch thick. A cubes, cubes, like lardon. And then you do that with, a, with you can do the peas with a frise salad or with, actually right now there is beautiful young tender greens that are everywhere. We have some in our garden, some red lettuce, uh, some oak. Oak lettuce, you know, that's called red oak lettuce. So anyway, it's, it's definitely another way to pump it up and make your peas look... Uh, They're friendly. Bacon and well, bacon peas, and are, peas. Ba- are very and, friendly. And morel, of course, are in season. Oh, my God. That's the uh, tragedy of this, the way this season rolled out, is the morels were done by the time the peas came up. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It was so weird. It's like, we're so far behind. Okay, coming up next, we got to move on to the next segments. We're going on to taking our July 4th salad and we're going to make them extraordinary. All right, stay with us on the Hot Stop Society radio show. We're here on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stop Society radio show. Happy 4th of July weekend. Happy 4th of July weekend, yes. All of you, I hope, stay away from danger and get close to the grill, but not too close. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. We're going to finally use our barbecue. It's You're been, just breaking it out? No, I, I used it once so far. <laughs> For what? 
What did you make? I made a lamb, a leg of lamb about a month ago when we had that spur of like three days of nice warm weather. I was like, oh, yes, yes, it's summer. And I, sure enough, I covered my barbecue again. And sure enough, it's been raining in the whole month. Of, and I wasn't here. I was in France too. So, but I'm going to break the barbecue. I took out, um, I have two pheasants that I'm going to um, open. Pheasant? Yeah, I have two pheasants. I'm going to grill the pheasant. I'm going to marinate them. And uh, my brother-in-law is coming over tomorrow with his wife and his son. And um, I'm going to grill those, those pheasants and, you know, use some, uh, make some uh, grilled vegetable. Like when, when I turn on my barbecue, it's, Everything goes it's on usually it. onion, bell peppers, yes. zucchini, eggplant, things that I can grill and I can keep in the fridge, make a nice little salad or pasta or whatever in the next few days once we eat. I always have that in the When I grill, it's what I do. I use my grill all the way. You need to get more use out of your charcoal. Tom yeah. and I were both talking about this new brand that Ballard Market has that burns for a long time. So if you could uh, have something in reserve, like some vegetables for another meal, to take advantage of that great heat, uh, so smart. Yeah, if you're, doing, if you're doing gas barbecue, that's a different story because you can turn on and off. Right. But if you're doing uh, wood like I do... Uh, or like Tom does, you know, coal or wood, mesquite or whatever. Um, it takes a long time to burn off those, those, yes. those, that heat is in there for a while. So Good time to fill the grill with onions. That's uh, what I would do. Oh yeah. I mean, I do, I literally do uh, tons of onion ring. I mean, uh, you know, but uh, an inch and a half to two inch thick onions. I take my onions and I cut them in about three and then I put that, that on the grill and, um, you know, I use that for salads later. Do you blanch them first? No. Raw. The only thing I do in all my vegetables is I put them in a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper. And then I do the, the, the rub. If I have a rub I'm using, for example, on my uh, pheasant, I'm going to make a rub for the pheasant using fresh herb mixed with rub and put that on top of the pheasant overnight, tonight. And then uh, tomorrow when I grill it, I will remove things that can burn too easily. But I will uh, make my coal, my, my barbecue really hot And I will mark my pheasant really well and then turn the heat down and then cook it slower. I start high, but I finish much lower. Because mm -hmm. pheasant is not very fatty. No, so you got to be careful not to dry it up. But it's a delicious meat. That's it's, what I would worry about is drying it out. Yeah, it's a good thing to worry about. But, you know, you don't want to go too... Think chicken and you'll have... You know, it's, it's not... It's, it's a tighter meat. Uh, In general, so it's, it, that's why it dries up. It dries up because if you get rid of all that moisture that's in that bird, you will have, um, you know, a dry piece of meat. But in order to make it dry, you have to work actually at it. So it's not this, you know, just think, think intelligently. Grill it high, start high to sear it or give it a nice roast. But then turn and it then down. And then gentle. Gentle, very gentle, gentle. Finish very gentle. And so I start the bird, I sear it, I move it on the side. Put all my vegetables on the, on the grill, grill all my vegetables till they're totally tender. Move those on the side. By now, my heat has come down from 350 to about 250. And at 250, I put the bird back on, put the lid back on, let it cook very slowly. In 45 minutes, it's not that big of a bird. It's like a chicken. Um, in 45 minutes, you get a bird that's cooked. 45 minutes, maybe a bit longer. And then you have everything. And then I put everything back under the lid. 
Cover it up, get everything it hot, up. and then serve it. Your guests are very lucky. They're going to have a feast. Uh, I'm looking for, uh, believe me, I'm eating with them. Just, yeah, so, just so it's clear. Yourself. Just so it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never, I cook for my guests, but I'm always thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and have some too, so don't mess it up. All right, and now uh, ordinary to extraordinary side dishes for 4th of July. So first thing that comes to mind is potato salad. I love potato salad. But I love potato salad a certain way. And, uh, I can't I'd, wait to hear. I'd, I, I, like, I like bacon in my potato salad. It's, it's funny because I haven't eaten much bacon in the last three years, two years. I don't eat bacon. You know, Kathy often would make an egg and bacon for breakfast. I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want any. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I, I can eat. I love bacon. I like it as a seasoning. Yeah, as opposed I, to just eating whole pieces right. I'm of a, it. I'm also very peculiar about I don't like Paper thin, crispy, burnt bacon, that crunchy bacon. I'm not, that's not bacon to me, but whatever. That's just me. Again, the Frenchy style, I guess. If Tom was here, I can already hear him. Oh, you're so French. I'm like, maybe, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> but I like my, my bacon in most cases to be more thicker and to not be cooked all the way like crispy. I like to have a little chew in my bacon. That comes from that salad lyonnaise kind of kind of like uh, lardon and so on and so forth. But anyway, with potato salad, make some nice little lardon and put that into your potato salad. I'm a big fan of that. I love fresh herbs, um, lots of chives, uh, especially right now I got blossom on all my chives. Take the blossoms and put that in your salad because those are very tasty. And the color contrast. Yeah, it's really beautiful nice color contrast. Potatoes. So you get greens, you get purple, you get yellow from the potatoes. Um, bacon Skin on in your potato salad or peeled? Oh no, peeled. I peel peeled. them. Okay. Yeah. Um, I peel them only because um, I mean it depends on the potato. If I was getting the youngest tender potatoes, I would not peel them. But in most cases, you know, it's it's probably going to be Yukon Gold. Um, it depends on what I find on the market, but Yukon Gold is my guess. I'm going to peel them, and then of course it's all in the aioli, um, aioli with a little harissa in it. Because I love a little heat in there. And this is where my duck egg come in. Hard-boiled duck egg. Now, duck egg that is... That is elevated. A duck egg is much... Um, it takes a little bit longer. You know, when you do a, chick, a chicken egg, for me, it's 10 minutes in boiling water. Nine minutes, actually, in boiling water. Take it out. Cool it off gently on the cold water. Peel it off. Cut it in half. And you get the perfect yolk. Cooked perfectly. To me. Nine now, minutes, I think, egg. is right, um, because they, I just saw a great chart on all recipes for the number of minutes and how it uh, cooks the yolk. Yeah. And, you know, they say, if you like that chalky, whiter yolk, go all the way to 12. But yeah. I, I think we're more on the nine minutes. I'm, I'm more into, I need to have some texture in my yeah. and some softness in my egg. Yeah. I don't like the chalky, dry yolks. I'm not that uh, person. And then, so for the egg, uh, the duck egg usually takes, to do a nine-minute chicken egg equivalent, it's usually 12 to 13 minutes for a duck egg. It's much bigger, yeah. much, uh, the, skin, the, the shell is harder and everything. Um, so it takes a couple more minutes, so, but, but I only do them at 10 minutes. Hard-boiled duck eggs, cooled off, and then um, it's one of the few times of the year where I use that. Egg slicer, you know, the plastic egg slicer. I love that tool. I think it's cool. Those are great. They, <laughs> so yeah, and they my make... mom used to use it all the time. But I cut it one way and then I whack it in the middle. 
Oh. So it's a, so it's a half a circle. Mm-hmm. Or a half moon, I should say. And then Very I put, pretty. I put that in my potato salad. And uh, aioli arisa, chives, bacon, um, parsley. I like Italian parsley, especially from the garden. And that's it. I decorate usually with edible flowers. So this time of year, I have lots of borage in my backyard. Borage all over the potato salad. It's nice and purple. Again, nice coloring. And that's it. Lots of uh, pepper and salt. Extraordinary. Uh, do we have time to hear your version of coleslaw? Coleslaw. So I'll Are take you mayonnaise or vinegar? I'm both. Oh. See, I put vinegar in my mayonnaise, so my mayonnaise has a little bit more... Uh, it's not just sweet. Because I'm not a big fan of... I've had coleslaw where it's like so sweet. I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want my coleslaw to still have some hoofta. You know, it's like... I like to do the mayonnaise with vinegar because it, it gives the texture of the mayonnaise is what's so cool about mayonnaise. Makes it the slaw. Yeah. And then the vinegar is what gives it the hoof. You know, it gives it the personality. Lots of pepper. Oof. Lots of pepper. Pepper's critical. Crack pepper in there. Beautiful. And then just a little salt. And I'm also a fan of making it a little bit earlier. So it has time to really impregnate the, the cabbage and get into that flavor you know, and then fresh herbs. Again, you have tons of chives, tons of parsley. Put that in that. Because I think it needs the green yeah, to lift it up. Would, some lemon and green to finish. At least it gives you an impression you have vegetables in there. Right. <laughs> well, we know we're supposed to be eating more cabbage, too. No, of course, of course. No, but cabbage is good. I, I like a good coleslaw. I'm a, I, I definitely... Also, one thing I like to put in there is uh, Julian pickled carrots. It's always nice Pickled to have. Pickled is a great idea. That would give it a little more snap. Yeah. So you wouldn't have to add vinegar to your mayonnaise. Just do mayonnaise and pickled vegetable so it balances it up. But I'm not a fan of just straight mayo. No. No. It it's needs too more. sweet for me. Well, I think you got too extraordinary on both of those dishes. All right. Thank you. We'll get, we'll get to the rest of our segment uh, one other day. <laughs> we keep some for next week. All right. Coming up, Easy Breezy's Summer Desserts. You're listening to the Host of Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Host of Society oh, here yeah. at the Host of Society Club. We call it the club now. Terry's renamed it. Well, well named it club because it is clubbish. But everyone's welcome in our club. Of course. Yes. There is no membership. No. Just come on in. Just enthusiasm. Exactly. We're at the Hotel Andra, the corner of 4th and Virginia, downtown Seattle, and uh, we're here every Friday from 9 to 11. We have live audience most Fridays. So just go onto the site. Get your ticket. Get your ticket. Come have on in. Have breakfast with us. Have breakfast with us. Bring your friends. Have make it the morning and a uh, little shopping downtown. And then here we go. You got a staycation downtown Seattle. Ideal. All right. We're talking. What are we talking? We're Crave-worthy talking. summer desserts. <laughs> I'm losing track of what I'm talking about since I'm talking about something else. All right, we're talking about desserts, yes. And what we have in front of us right now is a semi-fredo of mango and blueberry, both fresh, both, you know, done by Chef Annie here at the stove. Um, absolutely delicious. Couldn't be uh, more summery with so, its fresh flavors. Exactly. So um, pureed blueberry. Not You pureed the blueberry, Annie? Yeah. Yeah. So you take the fresh blueberry and you puree them. And you do a mixture of uh, meringue, Italian meringue, and um, 
egg yolks and cream and and then you fold the whole thing together you put that into a mold and you put it in the freezer and you have this terrine look like kind of desserts and you can slice it and put everybody on everybody's plate and if you're as creative as Chef Annie, you take a mango and make a flower out of it, and uh, you put that on top. <laughs> that was that was absolutely delicious. It's very nice. It's light. Uh, I think that's what you were looking for when you suggested this segment. Is correct. How do you make the seasonal transition to right. a lighter dessert? Correct. Lighter. I was looking for lighter seasonal. So using the blueberry. You know, we have strawberries right now. Semi Fredo strawberry is also delicious. Get the garden strawberry, the one that are so delicious, almost ready to go. Get them at the farmer's market, leave them on the counter overnight, or put them, you know, wash them, cut them in small pieces, a little bit of uh, vanilla sugar, put, put, leave that on the counter overnight with a towel on top so the mosquitoes don't come in there. <laughs> and then the next morning, you'll have this wonderful melting strawberry, slightly vanilla-y, and you can use that in your semi-fredo as a puree. Um, that would be f- and so wonderful. With some little chunks in there. Put that in your semi-fredo because strawberry is delicious also. This is the time of the year where I like strawberry. The rest of the year, I, it's a pet peeve of mine. I just, I go crazy. They're, they're I go crazy. so styrofoamy. You can tell that when you, when you pick them up, if you are silly enough to buy them in the winter, there's no aroma and they're tough. Uh, it, it's this time of year. It is when unfortunately get- to me the proof of... Where, how far we have gone the wrong way into eating and to producing and into not paying attention to that detail anymore, you know. It's like we need to go back to strawberries in Seattle are only good between, if you're lucky, on a good year. Not this year, but on a good year. It's usually June 1st to after the 4th of July and then another season towards the Labor Day weekend. That's the only time you have fresh, beautiful strawberry around here. Are you a shortcake fan, or oh, I love do you cake. like uh, a pound cake? I actually, with your I actually like an olive oil almond cake. Oh, completely yes. vegan. And um, I also was. We were t- I was talking with Kathy yesterday. We were talking about something like this, and uh, remain remembering. She was reminding me that she saw a, a video or something, and where uh, somebody made like an angel food cake kind of idea with fresh strawberry and everything, and and a, and a whipped cream. Um, topping, and then took a, wa- a wine glass, and then took the wine glass to use as a pastry cutter, and turned it upside down, and now you get a trifle. Brilliant <laughs> trick! So yes, and I saw that many years ago. The only thing I couldn't, I, I couldn't really cope with in the restaurant business is if you break the glass, oh, you're just loss. basically done with the cake. Yeah, you've got to throw so the whole thing it's kind out. Of a, but if you're careful and you use, you know, use your glass and. Be very careful on your cutting board. You cut your, your cake and your topping, a light cake and a topping, and you use the glass to cut it, turn it upside down. Now you have a trifle, and all you have to do is put a little meringue on top or whatever you want to do. You know, put a topping of fresh fruit, and you get a trifle. And then you can make many glasses like that, get them ready for when your guests show up. You're like, look at that. I'm ready. You're ready. What would you do? You could do it with raspberries as well. Yeah, anything. Ras- anything. Any. Um, it would. I mean, coming up, we have raspberries, blackberries, and blueberries. I mean, those are great. You know, to me, that's what I think about Bastille Day. I think about which is mid July. By then, we have blackberry, the first blackberry in the region, and then we have blueberry, and we have raspberry. 
So you use those three berries and you put them into on, on top of a beautiful light cake of, you know, you, like I said, you could do the olive oil um, cake, almond cake. And then you put, you make a nice whipped cream or a meringue, like a light meringue, and put the, all the vegetable, all the fruit in it. And then you take the glass and then you cut it and then you put it upside down. <laughs> you just can't get enough of that. <laughs> well, you know what I like about the glass, uh, a glass upside down like this? What I like about that idea is you take a nice booze to go with that. So in this case, you could make a mixture of, uh, you could take a sweet wine like a, a Pinot de Charente or something like this. You could even add a little puree of berries in that. And then you put that over the cake. So the cake is now soaked into that beautiful liquor. And then you get the berries underneath. <laughs> it's disgusting. What about Disgustingly good. Uh, a fruit tart? Oh, fruit tart. With raspberry. So French. So French. <laughs> with a vanilla cream? Or pastry a, cream. A pastry cream. Yeah. So the pastry cream, I would finish it with whipped cream. So you make a pastry cream, which is still pretty stiff. And then you do whipped cream on the side, vanilla whipped cream. So vanilla, sugar, whip a uh, little uh, cream, obviously. Whip the whole thing together. Mix it into your, fold it into your pastry cream. Put that on the bottom of your pie shell, of your tart shell that has been pre-baked. Pre-baked. And then, then you decorate with all your berries, you know. That's the Raspberry, blackberry, blueberry, part. raspberry again, you know, whatever. You do all the fruits and uh, powdered sugar right on top. Et voila. And then this is when you use, uh, you know, with Tom, every year we talk about anise isop. And I used some last week. I have a pot of anise isop. Oh, you need to bring us some of that too. You need some of that? With the lemon verbena. <laughs> and, Please. The le- and the lemon balm. And the lemon balm. I have lemon balm. That's what I have the most. Um, so anyway, you put that, you know, a little, a little um, anise isop right on top of your tart. The de- decorating with the colors. Do you look at that magazine, Cherry Bomb? They do so much with cakes and tarts and uh, engage with bakers who do beautiful symmetrical designs. What's the name of the magazine? Cherry Bomb. No, I don't know that one. Ah, I'm going to get you a copy. Cherry it's, Bomb? Mm-hmm. That sounds like the bomb. It is the bomb. The bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and their uh, dessert segments and on their Instagram are eye-poppingly gorgeous. So, to finish the fruit dessert thing, the other simple thing to do is obviously a good fruit salad. Now, start a good fruit salad coming up. We have watermelon. I love watermelon when it's beautiful and ripe in the summertime. A good chunky, you know, chunks of, of watermelon. And then you can go berries. You can do uh, peaches, nectarine. We have those coming up. Um, apricots, I haven't seen any of it. What are we having, Chef Annie? Strawberry and blueberry fried hand pies, That's not ham pies. Yeah. No. So <laughs> earlier she was telling me she was making hand pie, and I thought you were saying. kind of hot because it just came out of the fryer. So there's strawberry in here. Is that what you're saying? Strawberries and blueberries. And blueberries. We were just talking about blueberries. Right. Yeah. And uh, hand pie, just so everybody's clear on this, it's not ham, it's hand pie. Yeah. I thought she was saying hand pie. I was like, oof, that sounds disgusting. But <laughs> inspired okay. by the it. McDonald's dessert, but yeah. taken to another level when Chef Annie does it. That does not look. I hope they don't serve that at McDonald's because I'm going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then uh, fruit sa- to finish the fruit, fruit salad, salad conversation. Yes, you know, dicing uh, um, watermelon, mel- even melon. You know, in in, in fruit salad, honey, uh, chia seeds, al- toasted almonds, 
fresh uh, anise hyssop, julienne in there. All those Gorgeous. things are mint. You know, there is all kind of mint in the garden right now. All kind of very fine julienne mint in there and put the whole thing together. Use honey instead of sugar if you don't want sugar or use vanilla sugar. But when I refer to vanilla sugar, it's because in my house, we have sugar and we have vanilla sugar where all the vanilla beans I've used over the last 30 years with my wife, we keep some of it in brandy to make more vanilla extract, but we also keep the other half in sugar, so we have sugar vanilla. What a great habit to get into. Well, after 30 years, you collect quite a few beans, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot. I mean, some of them How long sure. does it take for the sugar to pick up the vanilla characteristic? Um, probably a month. Okay. But I got to go. We got to move on to the next segments so we can <laughs> we can pick up the pace. Uh, we're on top of the hour. So next hour, we have a beautiful show coming up. Stay with us over the, uh, the news. And uh, when we come back, we'll have Cynthia Nims, a wonderful local author of in the Shellfish house. Cookbook in the house. Stay with us on Caro 97.3 FM. See you soon. Here we are again in the Hot Stove Society radio show. We are in the Hot Stove Society Club, and uh, where they do tons of cooking demo. My name is the chef in the hat, Terry Rotiro, and my co-host, Pamela Yes, Inkley. Happy to be at the mic today while Tom is traveling and getting to sing songs with Terry. It's, it's a beautiful way to start your Friday. <laughs> Thank you for staying with us for the second hour here. We have a big, uh, big show again. We have a big, big hour, and... Uh, we have, we're going to be talking about Josh um, McFadden's book, Grain Forever, right. for every season. Not forever, but yeah, forever. But for every season is the name of the book. And uh, we're going to talk about that first. And then we'll have Cynthia Nim, um, wonderful author, writer, chef, co-author, whatever. She's awesome. And, uh, and she's, she's here with us in the studio, she's which with makes us it even better. in the better. studio, so I can't say anything bad, number one. But number two, she's awesome, and she's going to talk about her new book, Shellfish Book. I can't wait to hear all that, because I love shellfish. So, And uh, we finish with our Tasty Trivia. And Fourth of July edition. Fourth of July edition. It's going to be fabulous. I can't wait to hear about potato salad. Um, <laughs> that's what I think when I think 4th of July I think potato salad um, But first, let's talk about this book on the market This is a brand new book, right? Yes And it's called Grain for Every Season It's written by Joshua McFadden from Portland Yes, and those of you who have made the trip down Hopefully have eaten at Ava Jean's, his flagship restaurant But he, as much as a restaurateur, he is also a farmer so he's uh, got deep root connections for all of his produce. And um, this work um, is the result of some inspiration he took from uh, studying at an institute in Italy in an Alice Waters program where he first fell in love with Faro. And uh, as you have heard me often say, it is the grain that I rely on the most too. I and love farro. I mean, I love used, it in so many ways. Yeah. It's a very versatile, versatile grain to use. It's very delicious, sweet. It's got great texture. Uh, you can roast it. You can blanch it. You can put it in salads. Put it as a garnish, as a side. You, I mean, it's a definitely a very versatile product. 
Yeah, so the orientation um, that Josh has taken, his um, opening in the book, uh, it, because he it, he's encouraging use as whole grain, so not the refined versions um, that are the commodity products that we right. see. And his um, opening line in the book is, a whole grain is one of nature's many ingenious creations. Compact, sturdy, self-sufficient, and fortunately for us animals, delicious and nutritious. And so the way he's organized the book is to help you think through how to use the grains in every season. Because I think a lot of us think of farro uh, or millet or bulgur, the more common ones, as something we turn to in the fall and winter. When, When in fact, because of their versatility and nutrition there are treatments um, that make them so enjoyable through spring and summer as well so he's got these ingenious charts in the book that explain variations for each season and how to rotate your fresh vegetables and spices why don't you take a look at some of those categories of uh, variations so the different categories and he offers in terms of using those grains is aromatics so which makes total sense because you have some, um, I can think that, for example, quinoa, which is, I don't know if you consider that a grain, but I would consider that a grain, um, smells very differently and has a different aromatics that uh, farro, for example, adds. Absolutely. Those are two different, very aromatic. Then he has herb and spices, herb spices. So he uses uh, different type of herbs and spices to, to marry to that grain, specifically and um, that's a very good um, help for most people because a lot of people are, they don't know where to go step Yeah, two. they get dead-ended. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll, they're going to cook some quinoa and go, what, what do I do next? What's going to lift it up? Right. Yeah. So that's a good, very good idea. It talks about the protein as well. And it, it talks about the vegetable, which goes well with, uh, you know, depending on the season that you are in, using that grain, what, what's best vegetable to go with? And that's a very helpful idea. It also talks about the liquid, what you can do with it, like chicken broth, vegetable broth. It makes such a big difference to change your liquids. Of course. And, uh, I mean, just that subtle thing of moving maybe from a mushroom broth to a chicken broth. Or from uh, water to to a vegetable broth. Yeah. As simple as that. You know, it's like you just add the kitty a little bit and give it some different flavor. Um, Same with fresh spices and herbs. You know, what herb you use makes a big difference. If you use juniper, you're going to have a very different flavor than if you use um, curry or anise or, you know, those different herbs. So, um, and then they, of course, have the finishing, the timing, the, the timing it takes to cook it. And then the finishing, for example, he has lemon juice, grated lemon zest, um, raw corn kernel, uh, things like this. It's very interesting. And I think... He did a lot of work, a lot of research to plan those so charts. And I think it's a very helpful tool, just the chart itself. It's a very helpful tool to get, to just get out of the box, you know, to not just have the grain, but to have the grain and make the next step. Exactly. I think it's very cool. And he, um, much like with his first book, Six Seasons, he um, has a lot of uh, advice on how to build your larder so that you are prepared uh, to make these pivots and flavoring adjustments. Because if you've got 
uh, a nice spice cabinet, good oil variety, some good frozen stocks you've got. Go to a farmer's market, ask a farmer's where, when do they get grains, fresh grain in the summertime, when they harvest the wheat, when they harvest the farro, you know, like a bluebird grain farm and all that stuff. And then put those away, like you just said, put them in jars, seal them, put them away, and then use them throughout the year as you're in your larder. Just you do that. I used to use farro for breakfast every morning for many years and uh, just warm up some almond milk, toasted almond, put that with the farro, a little bit of uh, honey. That was my breakfast. What a nutritional way to start the day. You were ready for anything. And then I changed to quinoa, but that did not last as long. No. Quinoa is not as... I don't like quinoa as much. The flavor of quinoa is, is a bit annoying after a while. It's not, <laughs> it's not very... It's too EP-ish for me. I don't get it. <laughs> but, no, uh, there's but, no quinoa in my house farro is definitely delicious. <laughs> and you can also use farro as a side garnish during the season. First thing that comes to mind is locally in the fall, sauteed mushroom and farro with nuts. And, uh, you know, that's a great, great way to do it. And a segue... With the peas we were talking earlier on the show, if you listened to the show earlier, peas and farrows, delicious. Great combination. That's, that's, that's for the, uh, the book, Grain oh, for Every it. Season. Get it if you don't have it. And uh, go check out Joshua in Portland if you want to. But most importantly, get the book. It, if you're into grain, this is a very good helper. Coming up next, we're going to have our dear friend Cynthia Nim here, cookbook author, uh, especially of the last cookbook, Shellfish. We're going to talk about... Lots of local selfish, I'm sure. I look forward to it. Stay with us on Caro 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen of the Hot Stove Society radio show here in the Hot Stove Society club, also known as a cooking school. Uh, my name is Thierry Rotter. I'm the chef in the hat. Pamela Hinckley, producer, sitting in for Tom Douglas, and we're so excited to have Cynthia Nims with us right now. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Thierry. Hello, Nice Pamela. to see you. Oh, and you two need to speak a little more French together. Ça va? Oui, oui, ça va. Oui, ça fait tellement plaisir de te voir après beaucoup de temps, quand même. On oui. s'est pas vu depuis un petit moment. Ça fait un bout de temps. Un bout de temps. Et la... Mais je suis très heureux que tu sois là. Ouais, très merci bien. Merci beaucoup. Et moi aussi, et en forme. En forme. Ah oui, Thierry. oui, en bonne forme. Ouais, ouais. Thank Thank you. After That's four weeks music of my ears. <laughs> so, Cynthia is a very prolific writer, um, food writer, I should say, right? Food yeah, writer, writer first. Food writer, author, writer, author. Writer, yep. you've, you've done so many things over the year, and you were my co-host on... Uh, co-host? Co-writer? Is that what uh, you call on it? On the Rovers podcast. Uh, the, we we uh, co-hosted the Rovers podcast true. together. That's true, the Rovers yeah. podcast. She was a co-writer on the co- uh, Rovers cookbook, and... Uh, You've been a friend for many years. You're an awesome cook. I mean, I still awesome. remember our first meal at Rovers. Oh, ba- you? Bajillion years ago, yeah. Wow. Summertime outside. My memory bank doesn't work that far back. Yeah, Damn. it was a while ago. <laughs> That's a little while ago. All right, let's not go into that. No, but memories, memories. the point is, you have been around the block, and in terms of food writing, and um, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Great. And to now be you back. have this new book. So you wrote a single. Uh, you wrote a couple of books before this book. Well, yeah, well, the two most recent prior to this were also in the seafood realm. Uh-huh. Um, one was oysters, um, and the other one was crab. Right. So single subject, deeper dives into those specific shellfish. Right. And then um, this book is called Shellfish, very simply. Uh, and what it does is really take a broader look at the 
larger sort of ensemble of shellfish and which includes oysters and crab again right. because they're so popular and definitely part of that family but it also includes shrimp and scallops and clams and mussels and um lobster i think rounds it out there are seven chapters um each with a different shellfish and so it's sort of um yeah, so they each get their own attention, but in a smaller dose than right. the, than the large scale book of like oysters did. Sure. So it hopefully suits folks who, well, for one thing, like a bunch of different shellfish um, and want to have a little variety um, to look at. And the thing that I was hoping is that it also will be a way to get folks who maybe you know maybe they really like scallops and that's one thing they're comfortable with and love. And so they'll maybe get the book and look at the scallop chapter, and then a couple pages later they'll see, oh, mussels, I really haven't ever tried mussels that much, or I'm not right. sure I like them. Or I'm hoping that it'll be a book that helps expand folks' um, sort of comfort level with different shellfish and maybe trying things that they don't cook as often. Right, um, right. So we'll see. I mean, but I think there is... Just you know, I got um, I kind of got re-energized writing this book and working on the recipes and doing the research because it reminded me too of the versatility of the different types and helped me remember to try different shellfish. Like I right. don't honestly cook lobster very much because right. we're in the Northwest, That's but right. but there's no reason I shouldn't be now and again right. getting some lobster tails and you know they're great on the grill or you can sure. do so many different things with them. Um, so it was I had a lot of fun writing it and it. It was a sort of a fun exploration for me, and I'm hoping that that will translate to folks who pick up the book and, like I said, maybe get it for one or two chapters that they know they're going to like and then explore the others too. So I, I think, to me, I think uh, I, I, something we don't really think very often uh, as chef, or at least for me, but I have woken up to that. The biggest dilemma, I think, that I hear from, from general consumer is where do you get seafood? Because we can talk about Lobster, you know, lobster you can find out, oh, Jimmy, everybody knows that. You can find it, whoever's got a tank. But things like uh, clam or, or little neck clam or whatever, you, there's, always, there's always a bunch of shellfish. Shellfish is a pretty precarious ingredient. You can't play around too much with it, as in it's not like you're going to buy it and leave it in your trunk for three, six hours and go home. And not especially, everything. no, certainly the live. Yeah, the, the live in the, the shelf. Well, shellfish yeah, yeah. is something you usually buy lives. You know, oysters, clam, mussels, you yeah. don't. Usually you buy it live, and then you do your dish with that. Or mm-hmm. well, at least that's the way I think. You can buy it, obviously, in a jar and cook and make a chowder or whatever. But in general, you buy it live, especially around here. Now, that's requiring a place of you need to know where to buy it, yeah. number one. Right. And then number two, how to, to hold it how together. How to care for it, right. I think there's a certain amount of intimidation around that. And I, right. it's understandable. Um, and that's what I try to dispel, a li- not dispel, but just give folks a little more comfort by explaining what to do with the, the shellfish when you get home. Right. Um, and I do talk a little bit about finding, you know, finding good seafood sort of, you know, I, the thing that I found interesting, I was writing this book, not only, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to travel to eight different regions of the United States while I was working on it, but it would, I would have loved to have been able to go into seafood markets. But what right. I did was the next best thing, which was visit a lot of... Um, Farm? No, 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 um, just websites, looking at sh- sh- mm. seafood markets that are popping up around the country. And I got the impression, this is just my impression from during my research, that there seemed to be a few more, um, like there's a growth in specialty seafood markets that might be happening I, around I the country. So. Um, so that's something I'm kind of on. A, it's one of the, 
lingering things I'm loving about having written that book is now I'm I'm really focused more, and I'm going to try to figure out what to do with it next. Is sort of re. Um, just looking more into that consumer experience when they go into a market and what options they have when they're shopping. And I think folks might be surprised um, off the coasts how actually there is access to good seafood. It travels relatively well. I mean, yeah. um, one thing I also did during the pandemic, because I wasn't going to, you know, um, mutual fish every week because right. we were staying home. Oh, they were closed for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So I ordered from Hama Hama and I ordered yeah. from, you know, Pan Cove and, and I, it could be me in West Seattle. It could be someone in Spokane. It could be someone in Nebraska ordering right. beautiful from the farm shellfish. Yeah. And they pack case. them really well. They I pack mean, them beautifully. So they come I, in, they're perfect. And so I think that's a thing. I mean, granted, it's not inexpensive to ship, but it's at least another option folks right. have. And so um, I'm hoping to also encourage people to not not assume that just because you don't live on the coast that you don't have access to good seafood Um, might take a teeny bit of research a little bit of work um, but if there's a restaurant in town that's serving great seafood that seafood's getting there somehow and there's might be a retailer that's also sourcing great seafood so i think i i just hope folks will um just embrace the possibility of the fact that you can get good seafood right. all over the place. And also to not assume that all your seafood is going to come in a can or it's going to come cooked or, you know, like crab and everything. I know it's great to buy crab that's already cooked because mm. it's practical or to mm. buy crab in a jar, you know, that's already picked for you. Mm-hmm. That's very practical. Mm-hmm. We all love that. No, yeah. who doesn't like that? Yeah. But there's also something really cool and very, very, very different about getting a live crab and cooking it yourself and then cracking it and then tasting and it's it. it's fresh and all the, that, yeah. The flavor is, there is no comparison. Oh, and in this season, since we're going into summer, it's already summer, right? I mean, right. It, it was for th- two days at least. <laughs> but I, like, everything is great on the grill. Like, yeah. every, every yeah. single shellfish is great on the grill. Yeah. And I think that's also something that might not be the first thing that comes to mind when folks think about their summertime grilling. So you right. take those, you know, those crab portions that you've, that are, sometimes, I mean, you can buy a whole crab pre-cooked too. Right. Right. Um, and then just portion it out. What I do in the book, I think it's like soy sauce and a little garlic. And you just throw that on the grill to heat up. And the char, um, that little bit of char on the shells, smokiness. It, it adds a little nutty smokiness. Yep. And you can do, you know, you throw oysters on the grill. I put clams in um, a foil packet with fresh bay leaves and a little bit of butter. You put that on the grill and it all makes a little steam oven yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I just... So your kitchen won't be, if you're afraid of the smell, it won't be smelling. Yeah, and it's just so fun to cook everything on the grill, obviously. Yeah. And it cooks super duper quickly. So then you do your steak after that, or you have right. some corn on the side, and you make the most of your grill being Correct. heated up and make a whole meal. But scallops and shrimp and everything is great on the grill. So that's just my, my, motto, for, my mo- uh, motto for the summer. <laughs> so when we come back, we're going we're gonna to take a break here, but when we come back, let's talk more about things like gooey, uh, gooey duck things that are probably a little bit out of the realm of some people, but how you can treat them very simply and, you know, things that are a little bit off the cuff because uh-huh. I'm liking the grilling idea. <laughs> so stay with us at the Hot Stove Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM. We'll be right back. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society radio show. Uh, our guest is Cynthia Nim, prolific, prolific writer, food writer, and uh, giant knowledge of Fish and shellfish in the region. How's that? 
We'll see. I'm, I'm really worried about trivia already. All I can think about is trivia coming yeah. later. And how I many legs? I, how many legs does a razor climb as? <laughs> that one I know. That one I think I know. It might have a foot, but not a leg. Oh. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, we were talking earlier about grilling shellfish. I want to go a little bit more into that because I'm, I'm liking this idea of, you know, it's summertime, all the fresh herb in the garden. And, you know, you have your grill out. You're going to grill, let's say, uh, steaks or whatever. You know, and, but you want to start with having some shellfish on top of that before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great way to do your oysters. Perfect surf do and a turf. compound butter with fresh herb, chives and uh, basil and all the herbs you have in your garden, your parsley, your lemon. Um, I have a lemon balm. I can use that into my compound butter. All these different things that can give beautiful flavor to a butter. And then you put that on top. Crumble that on top of your oysters and mm-hmm. your clam. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend taking the grill that's in your oven, taking it out, set up all your shellfish on top of that, and then put that on top of your grill. So when they're all ready to, and cooked, you can remove the entire grill that's out. That's one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever heard. I'm totally going really? to take that. Yeah, I mean, I love the hey idea guys, that you're you... noticing, <laughs> you're noticing all this. Brilliant. She called me brilliant. No, I, We're I, putting that down yeah, in the and, yeah, and, calendar notes. <laughs> There are some fancy things that you can get if you're like a real grill meister and you might be doing this a lot. There are some, you know, sort of oyster you don't need specific. To buy it. You're not going to be doing this every week. No, no, you're no. You're doing this once a that's year. Why, it's like, yeah, this is use lovely. your oven grill. Just take yeah. it out of the oven. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. Um, and yeah, again, talking, it, it, it all cooks so quickly. So definitely yeah. have other stuff. One of my, um, well, I can't say my favorite because I. They're all my favorite. But one recipe I um, really like in the book is grilled large scallops. You're not going to grill little bay scallops because they cook way too quickly. But well, are they going like, to go through your grill too? Yeah, well, no, well, no, these are on skewers. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, so um, it's a simple, very simple grilled sea scallop, but I also grill wedges of radicchio uh-huh. um, alongside. So you've got then the grilled scallop on the grilled radicchio, and it could oh, nice. be other things like grilled you know, romaine or sure. whatever other vegetable sure. you want. And then there's like a Caesar inspired sort of sauce that goes over the both of them. So the point being, again, you can grill other, you can grill vegetables, oh, yeah. potatoes, the, you know, the packet thing with the clams and the bay leaf and butter. I do that with potatoes all the mm, time too. Yeah. And that bay leaf, um, I am such a freak for fresh bay leaf out of the garden so if I have you, two you, trees in my backyard if you do the same thing with small um, potatoes depending on their size you might want to blanch them first just so they you're sure that they're going to cook on the grill right but put them in a different packet because it's different right. cooking times but sure. um the same thing just butter fresh bay leaf pack it up and put them on the grill um, a little before the clams the clams will cook more quickly and then you're going to have this delicious very simple butter bay leaf where is the bacon i don't i don't hear you say bacon i didn't i didn't actually no. say the word bacon but you can throw bacon in there if you i'm a little bacon want. you know with the clam and the potatoes yeah. i'm like i'm in portugal already yeah I'm, yeah yeah <laughs> i'm like yes the chef huh. swim exactly. you can add bacon for sure <laughs> yeah so uh yeah i think that um hopefully f- you know, folks can think of adding, it's like, like you said, the menu is going to have, you know, steaks or ribs or whatever, but while the grill's hot, because it takes just a few minutes, whatever seafood you're picking up, get some shellfish, make it a first course or a surf and turf combo or something. And (coughs) And earlier I was talking about compound butter. If you can't have butter or you worry about butter, you can use olive oil, make like a chimichurri kind of, you know, kind of of sauce. Put that on top of your clam and mussels and put them on the grill let, just let them warm up. It's going to cook the shellfish right away. In five minutes, you get this gorgeous product, and you slurp on that with a little grilled bread. Mm, mm. Oh, next of course, to it. the bread. Always, bread always, 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 always the bread. Yeah. 
And then again with the grill, yeah, the grilled yeah. bread just adds a little extra toasted nice flavor. Nice glass of rosé, and <clears throat> it's the fourth of July in yeah, America. And you, and you already covered all the beautiful desserts you're going to have after. Yes, the so trifle. We've, we've got the whole menu figured out for yeah. everybody's summer, summer, summer planning. planning we, talk, right? we talked about peas and <laughs> summer salad early, earlier. We get the whole buffet yeah. ready to go. I finally. How plan- many people are coming? <laughs> I finally planted some mush this summer. Oh yeah, and oh, I've got good like call. three teeny weeny little plants, so it's going to be like half a bite for each of us. But I'm so excited to finally have some mosh yeah, in my garden. Take it on the appetizer. Yeah, it'll be a teeny, it'll be like a little pre, you know, yeah. amuse-bouche exactly, salad definitely. for us this summer. But Fiony. I do love, even my small garden, I've got, you know, fennel and um, I have chervil that hasn't bolted yet and, you know, a little basil. It doesn't take a lot and it's no. just so satisfying to add those um, garden herbs to I have more weeds cooking. than anything in my garden right now because we left for four weeks and uh, oh my God, we... I mean, it rained like crazy when we were gone. And of course, there was a few days of sunshine in between. All the weeds went to heaven. They were like, we came back, it was like, you know, we got three feet of weeds in the entire backyard. So to find the chives, I have to kill. <laughs> They're down like, somewhere. <laughs> Get out of here. You know, it's like, it's fun. Like you said, it's so easy to have. If you have one foot, no, three feet by three feet of dirt, you can plant a little bit of lettuce, a little bit of herbs. You've got enough to just clip every day a yeah. little bit. I know, especially if you're single or you're living alone, it's easy to have just a little bit. It could be on your windowsill. Yeah, and I've got just pots. I mean, a lot of my stuff is in pots because yeah. we just have a paved patio. I mean, anyway, we don't have a ton of yeah. <laughs> land to plant in, so it's, but it just works really well, and it's super satisfying. I have fraise de bois right now. Oh, mm. nice. just had the first one. So um, the one thing about shellfish that I... Th- think is really cool too is and I'm sure you experienced this just recently in France and every time you travel even if it's just somewhere else in the states it's a very there's a lot of um sort of there's so much regional distinction oh, yeah. know, the, the, to the to the shellfish as you travel so it's delicious and interesting and different and I I think shellfish end up being a really cool thing to have on your radar when you're traveling yep. Yep. um whether it's like we were talking about Lisbon earlier there's a I, forget the name of the restaurant, but one of the more sort of traditional, classic, phenomenal restaurants that does seafood there, you get these shrimp that are as big as your hand. And, oh, yeah, they're called um, gambas. Yeah, enormous. And then the, um, I don't ever remember the Spanish word, but the gooseneck barnacles and oh, yeah. all sorts of different unique things to have while you're traveling. And it adds to, it's not only something delicious and fun to eat while you're traveling, but it just adds to your our, our collective appreciation for how different they are and yeah. preserving the, sort of the cultural, you know, connections. This is all part of our heritage. And yes, yeah. we do need to preserve it. Just like, I mean, here we have such a glory bounty of shellfish around here, you know, the yeah. Pacific and Northwest. And I love the stories behind them. The, yeah, yeah, it's just great. And it, so I think, um, I don't know, again, I got super enthused writing this book because um, it channeled just a lot of fun experiences I've had over the years. Being up on Kodiak Island in the 90s and, you know, being on a boat when we pulled up a crab pot with king crab in it and oh, eating, oh, eating king wow. crab that were cooked on the beach wow. like a couple of hours later. I mean, I'll never forget that of course not. for my whole life. And I still, I, to this day, have the flavor of the crab I ate with Eric Reaper in the kitchen after I had a, we had a... We sat down, we had a five-course lunch at the bar, and then we went into the kitchen, and there was this gorgeous king crab that just got cooked, I mean, literally just got cooked on a sheet pan, and the, the, the chef gave it to put it in front of us, 
So I was talking with Eric, and we start plucking at the. Cr- we just had a five course lunch. We start <laughs> plucking at the crab. We hate. I don't know how much of that crab. Way too much of that crab. It was to this day. I remember that flavor so distinctively. Mm-hmm. How sweet! How gorgeous! Lightly salted. It was magnificent. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is a memory that gets built with that. Yeah. When I was in France this time, I had some fin de Claire oh. in Lyon in the Bocuse market. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you've been there. And uh, I was taking a group and I said, oh, you know, let's stop here and let's all have an oyster. And he said, what kind of oyster? I want, I want some fin de Claire. I had number three fin de Claire. They were, like you said, it was so different. I mean, we have Kamimoto's, we have all those different oysters here that we are familiar with. Those were different. Yeah. And they were so delicious. And that with a glass of little Macon. Oh. <laughs> um, so you were just in the Camargue. Yes. And so I went to the Camargue for the first time ever. Like all those years of going to France, oh, yeah? I hadn't been, and it was maybe five years ago or something. And we're in this little random village, stopping at a random place for lunch, and they have these teeny-weeny little clams. I swear they weren't bigger than my, like my tip of my thumb. I'm going to forget the name right now, but teeny-weeny little clams that were on this special. It was one of those classic lunchtime, you know, 15 euros, three-course thing. And it, it was just exquisite, like... Ooh, the most delicate little thing that I won't have that experience probably, you know, I mean, I'll have it again if I go back to the Camargue or that part of France. The Camargue is the uh, southern part of the Rhone Valley. Right, on the the Mediterranean. On the the Spanish border and the Mediterranean corner, yeah. Yeah, so it's just such a delight to try new and different, you know, things like that. You know, and of course, I'm partial to shellfish as a great way to travel. No, I mean, I I think you're right. Shellfish is definitely, obviously, you have to be on the coast to get shellfish. Uh, Wyoming doesn't have a reputation for great sell- shellfish, but not 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 um, on site. No, not <laughs> on site. But you know, if you're on the coast, yeah, definitely. I think it's a great idea to travel and try the different local shellfish. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so excited about shellfish now. Oh, good, good. That's that was my that hope. Was, that was, that really was cool. my hope. <laughs> yeah, and don't be afraid to uh, research how to cook shellfish in your house because it's really not. In most cases, it's not that complicated. I mean, we always say that, you know, because we're chef. But yeah. um, I know it's a little bit scary at first. But you know, debobbing the, the mussel, put them, you know, wash them, put them in a pot, and steam them. It does not take much. Right. And you and have, you can Google the that and Google Cynthia name, and she'll tell you how to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Just buy her book or come to her class oh, on July twenty right. seventh. Right. Oh yeah, you're doing a class here on right July twenty seventh. Here on the twenty seventh. So if you want to learn more about shellfish, come to the Hot Stove Society, book a class, bring some friends, and then you shellfish. A, then you'll have a power in uh, September or October with a lot of shellfish on your table. Yeah, exactly. We are at the Hot Stove Society in Seattle, Washington. Stay with us because coming up next. We have a tasty trivia. Are you going to stay with us, Cynthia? Yes. I, yeah, but I'm very scared. <laughs> but yes, all, I'll be here. Don't worry, it's all about shellfish, <laughs> not. <laughs> we are 97.3 FM Cairo. We are back at the Hot Stove Society radio show in the Hot Stove Society Club. I like the new name I gave it. At the Hotel Andra, the corner of 4th and Virginia. And this is our favorite time of the day where we can play around and see how smart we are. Uh, Pamela, you've you actually it's not Pamela today. It's uh, Becky Guzak wrote our questions. Here we go. She uh, I've named her our unofficial associate producer, and she's a big Hot Stove Society fan and is getting a big kick out of helping us with trivia. And I love that she themed it to Fourth of July. 
Nice. We're going to feel all patriotic today. Yeah. Good. We'll see. <laughs> 17... <laughs> 86? Right. I know, all of a sudden, all, oh, the, like, wait, all the history is like, going out of my head. You have to recite the Constitution. <laughs> so Tom is not with us today, so Sean will take his lead. And um, I will start. Cynthia is in the middle. And uh, the game, Pam, you want to tell us how we play the game? Yes, you're each going to get five questions from Becky. And the winner is going to be Cynthia. I'm announcing <laughs> it already. Oh, now I feel better. I love now this. Now I if, feel better. If Tom was here, he'd be like, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> you know I love rigging this. But, of course, Terry, we are going to uh, start with you. I also want to remind everybody that Food for Thought Tested Trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love. If you've never heard that name before, you obviously were not listening to our show, um, but uh, it's never too late. Don't forget to buy your Rob With Love spices. There is a whole collection of them, a whole slew of them, and they're available from coast to coast in the U.S. of A. And also on the internet at TomDouglas.com. And local butcher shops are very big supporters, and you can find them at Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market, Butcher Boys in Puyallup, and surprisingly, at any of the McLendon hardware stores, which we think is a beautiful thing. I need a pound of nail and some rub with love. <laughs> All right, let's play. Number one, what is the only fruit to have seeds on the outside? Strawberries. Correct. Pie was brought to America by the first English colonists. Pies were popular in England, though they were often meat pies. What was the first fruit pie thought to have been made by Queen Elizabeth? I'll give you three choices. Go ahead. Cherry, durian, or apple? (laughs) Durian is not an option, I hope. I'm sure the Queen did not know about durian until much later. I want to say apple, but I bet you it's cherry. It's cherry. Two for two. Number three, the Patriot, Climax, and Blue Gold are varietal names for which type of fruit? Blueberries. Yes, <laughs> tremendous. Uh, mo- again, multiple choice. What is the heaviest watermelon grown on record? 100 pounds, 350 pounds, or 824 pounds. Holy smokes. I don't want to meet that 800-pound watermelon. No. Um, but I bet you that's what it is. It's 350, according okay. to the Guinness World Records, um, grown in Ohio at the Operation Pumpkin Festival in 2013. Wow. We Americans love our potato salad <laughs> on the 4th of July. So How would you take an ordinary potato salad and make it extraordinary? <laughs> Listen to the show three segments ago. <laughs> add bacon. Add bacon, exactly. Just add bacon and chives and make it fantastic. Oh, maybe some Dijon mustard, too. Of course. All right. Four out of five, Terry. All right. Cynthia, you ready Cynthia, to rumble? I guess, I guess I'm ready. Sure, you see sure. how easy it is? Yeah, I'm ready yeah. to rumble. Yeah. Yours are, how many people were sitting around the table when they actually wrote the Constitution? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, oh. True or false? Peanuts, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Peanuts can be used to make dynamite. Peanuts? Wait, I thought you said this. <laughs> Peanuts can be used to make dynamite. 
I'm going to say that's so crazy that I'll say yes. Yep, true. Peanut oil is processed to produce glycerol, okay. which is the key ingredient. I missed, you, I missed that day in cooking school. Number two, the Alpine, Little Scarlet, and the All Star are varietal names for which type of fruit? I'm hoping it's strawberry. You are correct. That's what I was going to guess, too. Yay. Uh, Rosé is a popular wine Mm. often enjoyed at Fourth of July gatherings. True. (laughs) (laughs) She's a cheater. I like like her style. I just want to win. I like it, too. Which which grape varietal is not typically used in making rosé? Grenache, Concord, or Pinot Noir? Let's see. (laughs) Concord. Cord. That would be the kids' version <laughs> yeah, of kids rosé. Yes, yes. You are off to a tremendous start. According to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, how many hot dogs will be consumed in America this 4th of July? Here's a hint. Uh, the U.S. population is slightly over 330 million, so your multiple choice is, for hot dog consumption, 50 million, 150 million, or 400 million. Hot dogs consumed yeah. over don't the forget, holiday? Hey, Cynthia, yeah. don't forget they eat more than one. Oh, except don't. Kept, oh, except I wasn't going to be having any, so exactly. I was kind of doing that. I'm going to go with the middle one. Remind yep. me of the middle yep. one. 150. And, yeah. 150 million. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your wow. analysis is strong. <laughs> I love it. And finally, number five, grilled corn is a classic favorite of Fourth of July celebrations. How would you take it from ordinary and make it extraordinary? Extra butter, like the butter yeah. you first put on, put on a teeny bit more butter, and then add some minced herbs on top. I don't know. Yes. Does that sound good? <laughs> more butter. I'm yeah. just like, more butter. I'm like, that's not an extraordinary. That's just a regularly <laughs> normal. It's a regular day. Yeah. <laughs> I would have put it with some blueberry just to make a nice blueberry and corn, grilled corn salad. Uh, five for five. Five for five. And now our technical <laughs> producer, Sean, yeah, I Sean had to switch McFadden. the camera first so I could... Yes. Yeah. So, Sean, so, how do you yeah. feel? Uh, it's, it's a little surreal being on this side of things. Yeah. You're going to have but, to uh, beat four yeah. is what the number is. To. We need it more often because you've got a great voice. Well, thank you. And you're a great cook. So, uh, I you think know? you're going to be a strong contestant. thank God you can hold a radio show together. <laughs> yeah, and you can <laughs> assist us. For the most part. All right, number one, the Stars and Stripes, Yellow Baby, and Sangria are varietal names for which type of fruit? Uh, it's one that we love eating in the it's summertime. A, it's a trick question. It's a fruit, though. A fruit. Sangria? Is that Sangria, yellow baby, and stars and stripes. Oh, wow. Which, which oh. Vari- they're varietal for which fruit? Uh, I'm going to go, and it's a summer fruit. Do I get a question? And it's kind of a shape like this. A melon? Yeah, watermelon specifically. Okay. Okay. All types of watermelon. Good job. <laughs> Um, what, uh, this is multiple choice. What is the hottest pepper in the world? The ghost pepper, the Carolina Reaper, or the Trinidad Maruga Scorpion? I'm going to have to go Scorpion, I think. It's the Carolina Reaper. It's a cross between the ghost pepper and the red habanero. On the Scoville heat unit index, it is 200 times Hotter than the Ooh. jalapeno. Two hundred times. That's Ooh. hard to imagine. <laughs> Number three, which uh, contains more sugar, a strawberry or a lemon? Like a strawberry. You bet. All right. All right. Correct. 
Uh, true or false, Benjamin Franklin proposed the turkey as the national bird, but he was overruled by John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who recommended the bald eagle. Is that true or false? Oh, uh, wow. It sounds wacky enough to be true. I it's think. true. All right, all right. In, in 1772, the Second Continental Congress selected the bald eagle as the U.S. national symbol, representing freedom, independence, and strength. Wow. And finally, baked beans are an American favorite enjoyed on the 4th of July. How would you take it from ordinary and make it extraordinary? I would go... Some chipotle peppers in there. Oh, some canned chipotle. Mm. Maybe. Brilliant. And maybe some sort of pork fat just to. <laughs> you know. I told you, you he you was. Mean, a good are you going to use the same butter than uh, Cynthia was using? Well, I think Ooh. you're on Terry's yeah. bacon bandwagon, too. Some yeah. butter and some, some herbs. Bacon on there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Tremendous work, team. And All right. Cynthia, congratulations. <laughs> on being Cynthia the won. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, who gets the uh, present for the. The rub with love. Who Cynthia. Gets, Cynthia does? Yeah, she's taking home the new ones. Wow. Ooh, taco. Um, taco, serious pie, pizza spice, and wow. jerk rub. Oh All right, gosh, you're listening fun. to the Hot Stuff Society radio show on Cairo 87.3 FM. If you want to be a part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube live at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a ticket to join us in the studio at Hot Stove society.com the show is produced by Pamela Inkley thank you Pam you're welcome Sean McFadden thank you Sean and our editor is Sean DeTore thank you Sean wish you would come by and say hi <laughs> also remember you may, if you miss any episode of a Hot Stuff Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM you can listen via podcast just subscribe to you with your favorite app and we thank you so much for listening and happy 4th of July. Thanks for listening. See you later. Ciao.